Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome, everyone. Our topic for today is on-farm research and the eFields report. The eFields program is OSU Extension's on-farm research network. We typically do a podcast on it every year. So if you're a long-term listener, I'm sure you've heard about it. If not through us, then at other various extension meetings, or perhaps you're a participant in the program. Ohio farmers are encouraged to learn with us by partnering to conduct trials and share data through the annual report. Today, we'll have Elizabeth give us a summary of the 2022 report and some tips on conducting on-farm research. Then we'll talk to a couple of fellow contributors about their 2022 projects. So I'd like to introduce them now. John, we'll start with you. Hi, I'm John Barker. I'm an extension educator in Knox County. Uh, been here in Knox County since 1991. Thanks, John. And James. Hi, I'm James Morris, and I am the Ag and Natural Resources and Community Development Educator in Highland County and been here for uh, just five years now. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining us today. Looking forward to hearing about your projects here in a minute. Uh, but before we get to that, Elizabeth, can you give us an overview of the 2022 report? Absolutely. So this year's report was released in early January, and you can either find an online version at our website, efields.osu.edu, or you can pick up a printed copy at your local extension office. This year's report has summaries from 292 trials that were conducted in 49 counties in Ohio. And some of our more popular topics this year were fungicide, both corn and soybean, and uh, soil health was another one that was really popular. Awesome. Um, it's great to see that program continue to thrive and expand under your guidance for sure. So with that, for someone who hasn't done on-farm research before or maybe just dabbled in it a little bit, can you give us some tips on what uh, we should consider as we get started, uh, maybe start to plan a project for 23? Yeah, this is the time of year to be thinking about it for sure. And I think a lot of people think when we start talking about on-farm research that it's going to be really complicated and really difficult. But the truth is it can be quite simple. And a lot of the technology we have available today makes it even easier than it used to be in the past. So definitely something I encourage everyone to try to do. Starting out, I think the most important thing is to think really carefully about the question that you want to answer on your farm. When we start talking about field scale research, you know, our equipment is big, we can only fit so many passes in a field. So making sure we're maximizing what we can learn from that space is important. And the best way to do that is to identify exactly the treatments that you need to answer the question that you're trying to answer. Whether that be you know, seeding rate, making sure you have enough seeding rates to see a good response curve. Same with nitrogen. Or even if it's a trial where you're just comparing a new practice to what you used to do as a control, um, but making sure that with that question that you're setting out, it's very clear and you have the right treatments to answer that. We do know a lot of farmers are doing comparisons today, um, maybe just a side by side. We want to encourage you guys to take the next step and use the power of experimental design to maximize the value of your results. Um, something as simple as just replicating and then randomizing your plots can make a big difference in the quality of data that you get. Being able to separate differences within a year 
um, between what is causing a yield difference in treatments versus what is other variability in the field, whether that's due to soil type differences, something like drainage or even weather, gives you the power to apply those results to different years and be a little bit more predictive as to how useful the results you're getting are going to be in future years. Um, it's That's another thing that sounds a little bit scary up front, but it's not nearly as difficult as you think. And there are a lot of resources out there that can help you um, randomize and replicate those plots um, in a really simple and easy way to get good results at the end of the season. Um, another tip is a lot of things happen in the season. So just keeping notes of observations can really help you explain if you see yield differences that are unexpected, why that is, you know, whether that's weather or areas of the field that have issues that are not caused by the treatments that you're testing can really help you parse out things that maybe are unusual or unexpected and just give you even better information to use in future years if we see things like pest issues or heavy rainfalls occur again. And then my final tip is just use resources that are available to you. On-farm research is really popular in farming today. So there's lots of resources available to help you, whether it's utilizing your technology to name plots, to make the analysis at the end of the season easier, or partnering with your local on-farm research network. Most states have them if you're not in Ohio, but if you are in Ohio, eFields has a lot of tools that can help you set up the trial, including some standardized protocols that you can use and even layouts that you can take into the cab with you to conduct your trial and help you randomize and replicate it. Um, your local educators, like we're going to talk to here, James and John, in a few moments, um, these guys are always available to help and are excited to partner so that we can learn together and expand the benefit from the work that we're doing. And then today there's all kinds of apps that you can download on your phone that are going to help you take notes, create that trial, even do analysis. So if there's a tool that you're comfortable using, it's a great, great opportunity to make things easier for you. Those are some great tips. And I would reiterate that it doesn't have to be intimidating or scary and can really give you some valuable information to make decisions on your farm. All right, so let's dive into some of the 2022 trials. Uh, John, we'll start with you and what you had going on in Knox County. Uh, you've been a longtime contributor to the EFIELD program, uh, but what were you involved with in 2022 that you'd like to share with us today? Uh, thanks, Amanda. We decided to try something a little bit different this year. Uh, from what we've done in the past. One of the farmers that I do a lot of work with, and we have a lot of plots out in, in, his, in his fields, uh, was really interested in determining if a plant growth regulator could maybe mitigate the threat of lodging in wheat uh, from higher application rates of nitrogen. Um, he was really interested in kind of pushing that nitrogen rate uh, to see how far he could take it, yield increases without the threat of, of those plants falling flat there at harvest time. So in our study this year, uh, we compared a plant growth regulator versus a non-plant growth regulator. Um, the product we used was Palisade, and we used that at the recommended rate of 14.4 ounces to the acre. We had three reps. Uh, each one was 60 foot wide, and we run them the full length of the field like we usually do. And I guess just some, some observations from throughout the, the growing season there. A few weeks after the application of the Palisade and really through the rest of that growing season, the plants with the growth uh, regulator were visibly shorter than the other plants. As we continued uh, and they continued to mature, 
lodging became a little bit more prevalent in the check or the non-treated uh, areas of the field. And at harvest time, and we show a picture in the E-Fields report uh, of this, but at harvest time, we had some pretty good lodging going on uh, where we did not put the plant growth regulator. As far as yield goes, we saw a 10 bushel increase uh, where we did have a plant growth regulator, or another way to say that maybe is a 10 bushel decrease where we didn't. And those were uh, statistically significant differences. Well, it's always exciting when you actually see some differences in what's going on. Um, how did you, did you guys measure um, the lodging to a certain extent or was it visual? How did you manage that part of the trial? Uh, this year being our first year doing that, it was strictly visual. Uh, we have mm -hmm. uh, both drone footage. We also have uh, ground images as well. Um, so we didn't actually go in there and, and do it like a stand count of lodged plants. But if you look at the picture um, in the EPL report, you can see there was substantial lodging all the way through there to the point where even some of it was hard to pick up in the head of the combine, which probably contributed to some of that yield difference. Very cool. James, let's jump over to you. And uh, what trials did you have going on this year? This, well, last year. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, I'm currently the educator in Highland County, but just started here back in October of, of 2022. So the trials that I have done last year were from Brown County. We had three trials that made it in EFIELDS book last year from Brown County. And actually one of those plots was a second year of that study. So we had two that were fungicide trials, as Elizabeth mentioned. Those have been popular just because folks really want to know, is the return on the investment really there? Is it worth my time going out and running over those soybeans, spending an extra time out, making an application over the top to be able to uh, see that income increase? So all three of my trials were soybeans and looking at the first study, we did a control, so a no fungicide application, but still made the pass through that field just to replicate um, our areas across the field. This was three replications of three treatments. So a control, a one fungicide application of Zolera FX fungicide, and then the label also calls if in cases where we still see disease pressure to make a second application 10 days later. This producer wanted to see if those applications were worth that and was wondering if it's going to be payoff for one, two, or nothing. And we saw actually an increase from the control. We had 66 bushel beans. The one fungicide application had 67, and the two fungicide had 69 bushels per acre. So the first application was made at the R3 growth stage, and then the following one was 10 days later. Now, I, we did not see disease pressure really across Southern Ohio very uh, prominent in any of the fields that we had. So we still saw a small increase. Statistically, they were not significantly different, but we did see that return on investment that they were looking for. So the two application had the highest yield and we had an $18 per acre higher return on investment over the control. And the uh, two application actually had a $15 per acre higher return on investment than the one application. So the two still paid off. Of course, there's other factors there. We're not incorporating, you know, fuel and time spent, but just over that investment of that fungicide, it did pay off. But I think we have to be careful there when we look at these. We're not out recommending as educators to make that application regardless. But if you are as a producer wondering that year, I'm seeing disease pressure. Is it going to pay off? We can say it's probably looking very 
prominent in Southern Ohio to say it's going to pay off in, in these cases, even in small disease pressure. So we have to be careful there. We're not recommending that in, in risk of building up uh, fungicide resistance to our, our different pests, but it does show a payoff. And this was the second year of that study where it showed a payoff. Our second our second trial was the another fungicide application, and it also showed no significant yield difference, but it did pay off even at an application with a fungicide of Trivipro, which was twice the cost of the Zolera FX. So we had a, uh, a three bushel difference increase there between a control and a one application. But the one that was most exciting was our seeding rate study that we had done. And Elizabeth talked about it being, may sound overwhelming. And this is one of those producers where we had talked about doing this for a couple of years. So we did a side-by-side -side trial in 21 and saw a difference between a couple of different seeding rates. And we came back and did a replicated E-Fields trial in 2022. And what was really interesting to me, and this is probably the one I'm most excited about, is that we did a 120,000, 160,000, and 200,000 seeding rate. And we came out and did stand counts in each of those four replications of this trial. And our, our 120,000 only had a final stand count of 94,000. And these were planted late in June. June 19th was the plant date on these. So at that point, you know, we, we, we go out and we look at that field and we see 94,000. A lot of us will probably make that decision, especially in our area where we're planting 200,000 very commonly. I had to sweet talk them into doing 120 for me. So at 200,000, we come out and we see 94. That's probably a replant situation for most people early in the season. So I think we can use this as a decision tool as we look at the yields from the 120,000 that had a final stand of 94, we had 57 bushels per acre. Our 160 had a final stand of 115,000 plants per acre, and that averaged 59 bushels per acre. And then our 200,000 had a final stand of 148,000, and it had a 58 bushel per acre difference. So those were not significantly different. They're pretty much the same. And in that case, our 160,000 gave us the greatest return above our seed cost at $676. So essentially we we even saw the the 120 the 120,000 still at a higher return above the 200,000. So we think we typically get later we may want to bump up the seeding rates due to emergence issues or what it may be. Uh, soybeans are resilient. They're a pretty amazing crop and definitely one of my favorites. So uh, we talk about the visual observations in this field. They were amazing. You could go out in the 94,000 final stand and they were tree trunks. They were very big soybean stocks. And you go out in the 200 and they're real spindly, uh, very few pods per plant, but there's just more per acre there. So I think that at least provides a, a good tool for folks to use when they're making decisions about making replant or, or reducing input costs. All right, James, thanks. That the, All of those trials sound pretty interesting. Um, you know, some of our fungicide trials were kind of hit or miss this year because of low disease pressure across the state, but it sounds like you had some good results there. All right, so what do you guys have in mind for 2023? John, what do you have on the slate? We'll have probably, Amanda, around 20 or 21 different uh, plots scheduled for, for 23. The two that I think we'll try to put into E-Fields, uh, we always like to put our newer stuff into E-Fields. Um, we're going to do some fungicide, if we can get the timing and everything worked out, we're going to do some fungicide applications with the drone this year. Um, kind of compare that. Uh, ideally, we'd like to do it compared with an airplane, but getting those, getting those applications worked out is a little bit tough. So we're going to 
we're going to focus on just some some uh, fungicide applications made right around tasseling um, in corn with a drone and look at some some comparisons there and what kind of control we can get and also use that to kind of document some of the issues with drone applications versus the ground application. So if, if we can get the timing and everything worked out on that one, that's one I'm really excited about. We did that last year just with a drone. This year, we're going to add one more thing to it, and that will be comparing it with a ground application, and we're pretty excited to do that. The other newer one that we're, or new one that we're going to do next year for us will be we're going to do some interseeding work with cover crops. Uh, we've never done done any of those pots here before, so we're going to look at doing that as well and, and hopefully uh, get some, some good data to put in e-fields on that one as well. That's exciting stuff, especially the drone spraying is a really hot topic right now. So it's always good to have more research on those upcoming trends or new technologies. James, what about you? Yeah, much of the same. As you can tell what the hot topic of the, the year is going to be, drone applications is at the top of our list. That is one that we are for sure going to be working on. We're still kind of in the big picture phase. As, as John mentioned, we want to do a comparison with a different aerial application, but at bare minimum, we're at least going to be able to, to compare a ground versus a drone and, and at least see that comparison. But we also want to see just in general, um, some canopy penetration data too, hopefully looking at some coverage rates with the drones as well. So that may uh, be a little beyond our e-fields, but there's a lot of drone research that's going to be done this year. I know here in Southern Ohio, we have several companies that are, are getting on their feet and trying to get established. And we want to help them learn about their operation the same way we want to help producers learn if this is going to be an effective tool for them to use. So we'll see some fungicide trials with that. Um, I'm still in the recruiting phase here for Highland County, but we also have some interest, as John mentioned too, um, cover crop seeding, uh, interseeding and using drones for that as well. So can we see what the efficacy rates look like on germination from cover crops? But those, those are the two big topics we have at the top of our list. And along with seeding rates usually find their way up there as well. Awesome, exciting stuff. Elizabeth gave us some tips in doing on-farm research. What are some advice or tips that you guys have to someone who might be considering it for the first time? I guess kind of the approach I always take when, when I'm working with farmers, we'll, we'll be out there and we'll just kind of talk about, okay, what questions do you have? You know, what, what's on your mind? What, what do you have? Do you see something you think this may or may not work on my farm that you'd like to, to try to figure out? Um, and then we try to build a protocol around that to look at, okay, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? You know, I've heard about this being done in other states. I've heard about this being done in other parts of Ohio. I'm really curious to how that's going to work on my operation. So we kind of use that as the basis as we try different things. It's really what the individual farmers want to learn about and, and also help us learn about it as well. I think that's a great approach because it doesn't need to be something you're interested in. If you're not interested in it, there's not really a reason to do that research and you're not going to be as engaged in it. James, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. It's our goal to help producers make informed on-farm decisions through the on-farm research. It's not really our our interest completely. We want to help you answer your questions. And I think if this is something new to you and you're, you're debating whether or not as a producer, if it's, if it's worth your time, I think we all as a producer of, of our own properties, 
we spend a lot of time off the farm trying to get information, whether that's on, on programs, uh, going to conferences, other organizations outside of Extension, going to those professional development opportunities for our farm. I think this is one of the best time, small time commitments and time investments that you can make on your farm for your decision-making processes. So it gets you back on the farm. We can spend time there learning about your property, learning about your operation. And I think it's a, a great, great use of time. Well said, James. Elizabeth, any last minute comments or resources you want to mention for eFields as we move forward into 23 and looking back at 22? Yeah, I think one tool that I'd like to share that is up and coming and pretty exciting is at this point now we've got six reports out. And so if you're wanting to sift through the data, it can be kind of unwieldy to go through six different books to try to find what you're looking for. Um, We've recently come out in collaboration with the Knowledge Exchange at OSU, a website where you can dig into the data, you can search through reports by topic and pull up anything over the years that is relevant to what you're wanting to learn about. And you can also make some graphs and play with the data if that's something you're interested in. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check it out at kx.osu.edu slash efields. Excellent. Well, thank you, James and John, for your time today, sharing what you've learned and kind of what you're looking forward to moving on into 23. And Elizabeth, again, thanks for your leadership on this program. If you are interested in participating in the eFields, reach out to your county uh, educator or Elizabeth if you don't have one in your county, and we'll hopefully be able to get you set up and uh, start learning more about your farm. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners, just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.